time for another Salt City Hoops podcast. A slightly different brand this time. It's the first time in a while that you're only getting half of the Brothers Clayton. No, I didn't disown Ken. Uh, I just really wanted to talk to and bring in um, Spencer Wixom, uh, who has been doing a great job for us at Salt City Hoops for a long time, um, covering the Jazz, breaking down home games of the Utah Jazz, and also has been keeping really close tabs on the D-League team, uh, the D-League affiliate of the Jazz, uh, the Salt Lake City Stars. So I figure he is uniquely positioned to fill us all in and talk to us and debate with me about some uh, some themes about the Jazz and how they're using the D-League. So, Spencer, welcome in. How you doing? Good. I'm excited to be the <clears throat> placement Clayton today. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did warn Ken... Just so he doesn't, you know, think that something funny happened. There are no adoption papers. You know, you don't have to send my mom a, a birthday card next month. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, sounds good. Um, so let, let's talk jazz for a minute. Although I'm anxious to hear your, um, I already read your great recap about last night, but just to hear your thoughts and hear more detail about how last night went with a couple of jazz players making the trip out to Taylorsville to play with the Salt Lake City Stars. But let's talk about the Jazz because, oh my gosh, that win against the Cavaliers. Um, just what a big win. I know you watched it. I know you uh, helped recap that. What were your big takeaways from that 192 victory over the Cavs? Uh, can <clears throat> the Cavs-Jazz games get any more exciting? I mean, uh, it was so fun to watch uh, our guys go head-to-head with one of the best teams in the league. And uh, it was just a reminder of the game last year where Hayward hit that game-winning shot. And and to see them come in again and to to still be able to play head-to-head with them was, was really, really fun. Yeah, they, they should just do 82 of those a year, right? Just oh, Cleveland, I, Salt Lake City, I, Cleveland, Salt Lake City. LeBron might not like it, but I would. <clears throat> That's actually a joke because I think that those are really tough games. But to the Jazz's credit, they <laughs> they prepare well for them. They go into those games with a good game plan. Um, and, you know, they, they came away with a win, as they have in most home games against LeBron for the last... It's not just the, the since 2010 thing, because LeBron also visited in 2010 with the Cavs and lost that game. So really, it's like six out of the last seven or something that LeBron has lost in Salt Lake City. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's really impressive when you consider how great LeBron is and, and with his ability to just take over games. And the thing that impresses me is in, in these games, he doesn't typically have bad games. It's just that the Jazz are able to shut down other guys. I mean, that's what happened in this game. I mean, LeBron had a great game. He just didn't get much help from everyone else around him. Oh, man. I mean, if you think about, like, the Sunday out of games game or if you think about the Gordon game winner, like... Yeah, you're exactly right. Like it's it's not that LeBron forgot to get off the bus. It's like they got the Jazz got the very best version of LeBron and they just, you know, they matched it. They they went toe to toe for it, which I which to me was the most interesting and exciting takeaway was watching Gordon Hayward rise to that challenge. I thought he was phenomenal last night or two nights ago. Yeah, <clears throat> watching that stretch. I don't, I don't know about you, but um, when LeBron came out in the third quarter, <clears throat> hit those three threes and just started really looking like they were surging. Uh, 
I started to get a little nervous, uh, but then Hayward stepped up and immediately started to take over the game. And um, it was really fun to see him say, no, we're going to win this game and, and took it, took it back over from, from the King. Yeah. So, yeah, you're exactly right. So the Cavs went up by a bucket. Um, then the Jazz tied it up because a Rodney Hood layup got goaltended. Gordon had the next eight. Then there were mm-hmm. a couple of buckets by other guys. And then Gordon had that, um, <clears throat> so excuse me, Gordon had that amazing transition drive where he just went right at Kyle Korver and kind of spun in the lane and hung and dropped it. So he had 10 points and a 16 nothing run. Um, just just phenomenal play by Gordon kind of rising to that challenge, which kind of leads me to my next question. So um, it's we're recording this on Thursday, by the way. So it is January 12th, uh, which means that next Thursday we're going to hear who the All-Star starters are. Safe to assume at this point that Gordon Hayward and Rudy Gobert probably aren't going to be in that field. But then the coaches will vote, and... <clears throat> Despite the changes made to the voting of the starters, no changes have been made to the reserve uh, voting process as of as of yet. So we think that what's going to happen is starting on January 20th and until about January 25th, the coaches will have a few days to select the reserves for their respective conferences. So the question is, when we get together in two weeks from tonight on the 26th and we turn on TNT because they're a jazzer about to play the Lakers at home on national TV, Will we turn on the TV to watch an announcement that Gordon Hayward and Rudy Gobert are going to be all-star reserves and then enjoy their coming out party against the Lakers? Or will it be this awkward thing where like, oh, they didn't make it, but here they are on TNT tonight? I think that we probably aren't going to see an all-star. I mean, I... I think that they are both totally deserving, and um, I mean, I, I wrote a long piece about Hayward and how he's changed the game this year, and how great he's been, and and uh, there's been so many, uh, so much talk about how Rudy Gobert <coughs> changed his game offensively while still maintaining the defensive dominance that he's had. Uh, but when you look at the West, um, I, I don't know how many people have gone there and filled out the <coughs> the All Star ballots. The West is really loaded. Um, I, I think that maybe they have a chance of getting one of them in, um, and but I, I don't see both of them getting in for sure. Um, but if if one of them gets in, <coughs> I think that Hayward's the most deserving of the two, <coughs> and I think that coaches deciding those reserves, uh, they have to game plan a on how to stop Hayward every night. So he's probably going to be fresh on a lot of their minds. So he could get the vote from a lot of them. But there are a lot of really good wings in the West that, that are going to take some spaces. So Yeah. See, I, I'm at the point where I'm ready to say I, I think Gordon is going to make it. Um, I think he's going to make it outright. I don't think he's going to have to wait for injury replacements. I think he's an all-star. I think coaches know he's an all-star. I think they see this most recent leap he's taken and – and they know, and they, re, and I mean, at the same time, like the guy has made a leap every year, right? Whatever level he was yeah. at the year before, he comes back and he's a notch higher on the totem pole, whatever that notch is, right? So, you know, solid starter to offensive centerpiece, offensive centerpiece to consistent 18 point scorer, 18 point scores. I mean, like every year he kind of climbs. And, you know, I was talking about this with 
Aaron Hefner, another good uh, Salt City Hoops contributor. And, and yeah, I, I do think that Hayward is not just more likely to make it than Rudy because people have to game plan for him, although that's true, and I do think that that's a lot of how coaches think about it. But I also just think if you listen to the way that people around the league talk about Hayward now, the, the conver- it's shifted to the point where it's no longer, hey, here's this guy and, you know, isn't it cute? And maybe he could be an all-star someday. Like people are now talking about Gordon Hayward like, oh, that guy? Yeah, he's going to be an all-star. And granted, I'm talking yeah. about like the Jalen Roses of the world. I'm talking about <laughs> um, some of the analytics people. Like almost every analytics post I've I've seen where they're trying to select all-stars on the merits of – you know, contributions to winning and that sort of thing. Almost everyone has Gordon um, kind of as a foregone conclusion now. So I, I do think he's going to make it. I think Rudy will have to wait and see if there's a player who, whose spot needs to be filled. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to Rudy. I just think that to your point, that's the landscape. The, the Western Conference is pretty dang good. Rudy has to wait and see if Zaza Pachulia is going to sit out the game. <laughs> Zaza. Um, no, no, but uh, uh, my my only concern, and I guess my hesitant my hesitancy to to deem him an all star and crown him one. I mean, I I've been so pro Gordon being an all star this year just because of what he's done. Uh, but um, if you look at the numbers from Damian Lillard last year before he. Uh, pre-all-star numbers he was averaging 24 points seven assists and four rebounds and he wasn't selected as an all-star that's just my my only concern i mean lots of good players are left off of the all-star roster because there's only 12 of them so that's true that's true i just get nervous to to count my count the chips before Fair enough. No one's trying to jinx it. I guess my one small counter to that would be, and I'm trying to look up here. So the the Blazers' major run where they just kind of took over and um, and just kind of became a different team really happened after the break. Or it started in like early February after coaches had voted. So I'm trying yeah. to find out what their record was in late January. Last year, the announcement was made on January 28th. So let's mm-hmm. assume for the sake of argument that coaches ballots were in on January 27th. Their record on January 27th was 21 and 26. So okay. I, I think that's part of the reason why Damian Lillard didn't get the love. Now jokes on the Western conference yeah. coaches. Cause then they freaking lit a fire and they went on a tear <laughs> and they won. Like, I don't even know what it was. I mean, it was like, well, let's see, <laughs> let's do the math. Cause they were, the lowest they got was seven games under 500, and then they finished six games above 500. So, I mean, they had an amazing second half of the season, but that hadn't happened yet at the time the coaches were voting. So, I don't know. We'll see yeah. if that matters. And you talk about it in your latest uh, SC7, which is <coughs> up on Salt City Hoops, and everyone should go read that. But, Good plug. Uh, one thing that <laughs> one thing that could really help lead uh, – Hayward or or Gobert to being an all star is the this recent stretch that we have coming up, which is a ton of favorable games, um, <clears throat> a bunch that are very winnable, 
um, they could they could go through and just have this hot streak, win a bunch of games, and be looking at a much more favorable favorable record than they have now. And coaches, I mean, as much as they try and say they don't have a recency bias when they vote, there always is, and so it could help lean something uh, in in when they're submitting their ballots. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong. Well, I shouldn't say that. What I will say is I think coaches are pretty open about their record bias. Um, now, the fact of the yeah. matter is that if January 25th comes and the ballots are due and they're voting based on team's records, a team's record includes their recent play. So that's the thing. Like, I think yeah. I, the, the Jazz are, it's at least on the table for the Jazz to win the next seven. I'm not saying they will. I think they'll be favored in all seven. Um, they'll probably drop one or two. But just for the sake of argument, if they were to go 7-0 and between now and the night that the coaches have to send their ballots in, then they would be sitting there with a record of 31-16. and 16. They would be on a 54-win pace. And, and I just think at that point... It's pretty hard for the coaches to vote for even, I mean, even really good players. I, like if Memphis is still kind of hovering around in that, you know, five through seven morass, and I, then I think they vote for Gordon before they vote for Mike Conley. I think they vote for Gordon before they vote for Cat. I think they vote for Gordon before they vote for Dame Lillard. Like I just think that's how good the Jazz have been and how good Gordon has been this year. I, I, so. I don't know. We'll see. And again, to your point, I don't want to do the victory lap and then feel silly in two weeks. But I'm starting to feel like the conversation has shifted and Gordon Hayward has made himself an all-star. I really hope you're right because I think that it would also be a huge boost for the Jazz being able to retain him, proving that he can get the recognition here in Salt Lake. I agree. So, yeah, I think that'd be good. I think that's a big factor this summer. You're right. Um. Let's talk about something else, though, because the other big story that happened this week in the jazzosphere, if if that is a term, if if I just, <laughs> if I didn't just make that up, um, is is something that you had like literally almost front row seats for. So let's talk about um, you know there there was a debate this Monday about sort of how the Jazz are using the D League and what certain players can get out of it. And I want to get to that too, but for now, let's talk about last night because um, they kind of answered some of those questions yesterday, Wednesday, when they um, when they announced that they were sending Alec Burks and Howell Neto to go play a game with the Salt Lake City Stars, and it looks like it went pretty well, at least in ter- in terms of um, the stated goals. Right, like Alec mm-hmm. Burks ran up and down a basketball court and didn't hurt himself. And Howell Neto got some important reps and looked like an NBA point guard. So, um, I mean, what were your overall impressions of the game? Do you think it was a worthwhile exercise? And uh, and yeah, let's let's hear about the uh, the Stars versus the Rio. It was the it was the Vipers, right? The drive. Oh, thank you. See, that's how <laughs> bad I am. Yeah, they all blend together. I watched but, it, uh, but yeah. <laughs> it it was really fun actually. I mean, uh, it it was fun to see uh, the the fans get out there and cheer for these guys. Uh, um, but uh, so Alec Burks and and Howell Neto joined the stars. The 
the Stars haven't been by any means the best team in the D League this year. Um, they've only won five games this year. Uh, well, six after the win last night. Um, so they, they've struggled at times. So to say that they've they needed the offensive firepower that these two brought is a little bit of an understatement. So it it was really great to to see the team bring that to the to the the table uh it was kind of interesting because um because of some of the injuries that they had uh the stars only had two bigs and one of them was really a small forward uh so they were running four guards almost every every play uh and but uh so yeah alec burks played 20 minutes he he looked okay but the objective with him really was just to get him out and and play some basketball. He hasn't played 20 minutes of basketball, uh, five on five competitive basketball in in over a year. And so, um, he that he said that the the Jazz approached him and and asked him if he wanted to do this to to um so that he could get some some reps and 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 he was excited about it and and embraced the opportunity. Um, and he looked okay. I mean, you could definitely tell it's been a year since he's played basketball. Uh, and I, I don't blame him. I mean, I miss pickup for three weeks and I feel sluggish, but, but, uh, he, he, uh, had the same mentality that he always has, which was really encouraging to me because I was a little nervous that, Maybe his injuries were gonna prevent him from attacking the rim, <laughs> um, but that was not an issue at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he got 17 shots up in 20 minutes, so it looks like the mentality <laughs> is still there. That's the Alec Burks mentality, all right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he wasn't afraid to gun. Um, and, and while I mean, a lot of those shots in the fall. One thing that was encouraging to me is that of those 17 shots, eight were three pointers. Um, he hasn't taken eight three pointers in an NBA game before. Yeah. Um, and so maybe he's embracing more of a mentality of, uh, increasing his three point attempt percentage. So, um, yeah. I think that would be really good for him. Cause I think that opens up his drive game and he's been a decent three point shooter. So the jazz are having success with three-point looks and i think that if he wants to succeed with this team he needs to shoot the three yeah uh, so that that was encouraging to see even though a lot of his shots didn't fall but i mean he had five rebounds in 20 minutes which was great to see because he's always been a good rebounding guard um but he he looked a lot like the regular alec burks uh, yeah he did look a little tired and was huffing and puffing at times, but but he was Alec. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, I mean, those are all great points. I think you're right about the three-point shooting especially. Um, you know, he's coming up on 500 career attempts from three, which means he's got a pretty good sample and we're starting to get a pretty good idea of um, <clears throat> the kind of three-point shooter he is. And he's right around 36% career, which is not like – a league leading level at all, but 36% me, you know, that's an effective field goal percentage of 54, which means at 36%, you are a possession spent on an Alec Burks three is above, above league average for 
that possession usage for points per possession. Um, point average is around, you know, if you do true shooting of about 535, that's league average. So true shooting of 54% on your three-point shot, that means that that's a good possession to say nothing of it also benefits the overall offense because, you know, guys have to take you seriously and maybe you pull a guy out to you the next time down. So, so yeah, I mean, 36% is definitely a point at which you tell a guy, you know, shoot the basketball, shoot more threes. And Alec has kind of fought against that a little bit in the past. Um, in fact, I've even stood in front of him and, and interviewed him and had him talk about like, no, man, I'm a slasher. I'm a mid-range guy. And I think <laughs> maybe he's coming to the realization now that it's 2017 that, you know, there are just certain things that NBA teams need to get out of their shooting guards. And that's one of them. Yeah. I mean, he's even there's there's even a lot of tendencies where he's pump fake defenders and dribbled one step in and taken the long two, and so I think that just just the um, the difference of shot attempts from from being long twos to threes is is a big difference for his game. For so. sure. Um, well, I'm glad that went well for him. Um, I was kind of I was half joking about the 17 shots in 20 minutes. I think that's kind of <laughs> what he needed to do there. Um, and I'm glad to hear that he was open to it. Obviously, as a veteran player, um, Alec had to consent to going down. The Jazz could not assign him to the D-League affiliate without his mm-hmm. consent. That's not the case for Haul Neto. So let's talk about Haul. I know that when he talked to you guys after the game, he expressed a little bit of, I don't know the right word. I don't, you know, you, you were there. You talked That's to him. So, yeah, so help help me classify it. But he expressed that, he was a little bit hesitant at first or or not as excited at first um, after being in the NBA for a year and a half and starting a bunch of games to go play uh-huh. with the D-League affiliate. But it seems like he kind of embraced it. Yeah, so we, <clears throat> we asked him about it and, and uh, what the conversation was like and, and how it went when the Jazz approached him. And, and he said, to be honest, I was a little nervous because, and, and a little unsure at first because I spent last year starting most of the games for the Jazz in the NBA, and now they're asking me to play a D-League game. Um, so uh, it, it was a little, a little new to him, I think. Um, but he said that uh, he he said yes. I mean, that's kind of Raul's attitude i think people even just casual fans who watch him kind of know that at that he has the attitude of he's just going to do what the team asks him to do i mean yep. he comes in and plays spot minutes and always looks prepared and um that's just kind of who he is and so i th- I, I when when they asked him he he agreed to do it and i think he was a little hesitant at first he expressed that but he said afterward that he thought it was a fantastic experience because um, he's not getting any minutes with the Jazz right now, so it felt really good for him to go out and get 33 minutes of competitive basketball and just get his legs under him and get those reps. And and he looked really good. I mean, he had 14 points, uh, 12 assists, and 9 rebounds. So he was one rebound away from a triple-double. And uh, he did all of that while playing with players he's never played with before and just picking up the the flow of the game. It, it was pretty impressive to watch him play. Yeah, yeah. I was impressed. I mean, I was watching on, you know, a little Facebook live screen. I wasn't watching in person. Um, 
but he was just so central to everything they were doing. Um, there weren't very many plays where he didn't touch the ball, you know, where, where he wasn't a, a big part of the action uh, for the Stars. Um, and, and I mean, to me, it just looked like he had such a command of that environment, which he should really. I mean, you know, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to even sound like I'm remotely disparaging the D league, but I mean, by nature, these are fringe NBA players, right? These are fringe pros. And, you know, if you are good enough to start half a season for an NBA team, and then all of a sudden you go play with guys who some are NBA level and some aren't like you should kind of dominate. Right. And, um, so, so I, I was impressed with his game. Um, what yeah, did what I, did he think about his performance and just the experience? I I'll just add by the way he was playing against Ray McCallum, who is probably the best <clears throat> point guard in the D League. Um, yeah. uh, that isn't an, an affiliate assigned player. Uh, so he had a good matchup. Uh, it wasn't like he was playing against a lot of the D League players who were you're having to scramble to try and find out who they are. But yeah. he, he was playing against a really good player. Uh, but but you're right. Uh, but he he felt really good about his performance. I mean, he he uh, I mean, he's he was a little bummed that he didn't get his last rebound to get the triple double. <laughs> um, but I think he had a lot of fun. His parents were there. Uh, oh, cool. So it's kind of fun for him to to perform under his uh, with his parents watching a bunch of the teammates came out. Uh, Gordon Hayward was there. Joe Ingles was there. Trey Lyles was there. Um, I'm probably missing someone. Coach Quinn came. Jerry Sloan was there. Uh, I mean, they they brought out everyone. The cool thing and is Spencer that, uh, Wixom. Yeah, yeah, we had me too. Uh, the cool thing is that the stars actually didn't know that any of the jazz players were coming, uh, so they hadn't requested for tickets or anything. So uh, they just kind of showed up. Uh, yeah, to support their guys, uh, so that was kind of cool. Searched but, the but he, searched the car cup holder for the five dollars in loose change and made it yeah. work. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but Neto, I mean, he he actually said his attitude kind of changed, and he said that if the opportunity came up again, he wouldn't mind it if he's in a situation where he's not getting minutes with the Jazz. <clears throat> he obviously said if he's getting minutes with the Jazz, that would his be what he prefers to be doing is playing minutes with the jazz. But if something like this is happening, uh, he understands that he's in there in the situation that he's in where the team has four point guards. So minutes are going to be sparse. And if he's in that situation where everyone's healthy and he's not getting any minutes, he wouldn't mind coming down and running another game and getting some 30 minutes of, of play. Um, I, I do want to save a little bit of time to, uh, frankly to argue with you a little bit because because i know that there's one more topic that we want to hit on but but talk to me quickly about um you know you've been at most stars home games this season so just tell me you know from ball and boy to marcus page just tell me who else has stood out and um what's been cool about you know going to stars games and and seeing these young guys uh try to make it stars games have been really i mean they're they're so different than the NBA <clears throat> games just because, like you said, they are fringe NBA players, and I think a lot of them know that and are willing to admit that they're fighting for their job. Um, and so the interviews with them are, are very humbling because 
I don't think a lot of people realize the the salaries of these D League players are are often sixteen to eighteen thousand dollars. So it's not like the NBA players who are getting paid millions. These these guys are actually there just because they are trying to prove to NBA players or NBA teams that they're good. So um, <clears throat> it's been really fun to watch these guys. Ballum boy for. The Jazz has has played a, a bunch of games with the Stars, and and every time he's on the court, he looks like the best player. Um, no matter who they're playing, he he looks like he's been the best player out there, which is great. Uh, so that's right? Been I mean that exactly that just says like this I mean, is an what NBA you guy. Hope to see from him, uh, especially from a second round pick. I don't think you could ask anything better than that. Yeah, I mean that's great, right? Because that that right there says like, okay, this guy's an NBA guy, like. Don't know what his role is going to be in the NBA. Don't know how long it'll take him to to hit that role or realize that role. But like the fact that he can just go in the gym and just be head and shoulders above everybody else, literally and figuratively, that's uh, that's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is that athletically and physically, <clears throat> he's just a lot better than a lot of these D League players. He he's on the same level as NBA players in those categories. He's still learning things, and and honestly, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's why he was drafted where he was, but that's why the Jazz thought he was a total steal was because they looked at what he had physically and um, athletically and said, okay, if we can get him to understand the defensive systems and offensive systems, uh, then he can apply those things that he has, and, and we could have something. And, and I think I've seen that a lot, um, especially on the offensive end. I mean, he you're not seeing him force a lot of shots, which is one of the hardest things to watch about the D-League. You get a lot of these players who go in there and just they know that they're trying to show off to teams, so they force shots like crazy. And he gets doubled a lot at being one of the best players on there, and he's he's making the right pass out of the double, or he's... He's splitting the double or doing what he needs to do to 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 get better, and and I've been really impressed by Ball and Boy, um, Marcus Page. He's progressed as the years gone. Uh, his shooting is his best attribute so far. Uh, the biggest problem I have with Marcus Page is that they have him playing off ball in almost every situation they can. So he's basically playing shooting guard, and he's six feet tall. Um, and I just don't know how that's going to work in the NBA. Um, right. He's really smart. He's probably the smartest guy on the team and and one of the best interviews there is. Um, and so maybe he's he's going to figure it out. Uh, but but the this fact that they take the ball out of his hands every time they can kind of <clears throat> worries me about his NBA potential. Um, yeah. I mean that's that's funny. It reminds me of um, so so I had heard um, kind of secondhand, maybe even thirdhand, <laughs> that the Jazz weren't wild about the way Australia was using Exum. Like they did, they just didn't see a lot of developmental value in uh, in Exum's reps with Australia because again, you know, it was pass the ball and then go stand in the corner, and they just you know even before he got injured, they were like. You know the risk involved here doesn't really bear out the minimal developmental value he's getting by by just you know standing around. And now yeah. what's kind of funny about that is that's 
sort of the way the Jazz have been using Exum. So, um, yeah. in fact, I, yeah. I know um, just time-wise, maybe we should transition there and, and wrap up on that. The, this whole um, D-League debate and how the Jazz were going to use the Stars question um, really came into focus on Monday when the world panicked because they saw that the Jazz had assigned um, Neto Burks and Dante Exum to the D-League. Now, it turns out they literally assigned them for like an afternoon. They wanted them to get some practice in. The Jazz were off after a five-game and seven-night road trip. So it was literally like, hey, our guys are off. You guys haven't played. Go play with the Stars. But the Jazz had to do it that way officially. I, I think the reason why, I don't know if you know this, better than I know this, but um, my understanding is there's some insurance things involved and and just mm-hmm. like from a paperwork, they wanted to make sure they were above board because technically the Jazz players aren't protected if they're under contract with the Jazz and not on assignment and playing basketball somewhere outside the Jazz's gym. So I'm sure yeah. it was just like, you know, let's do everything the right way. Um, and it was literally so those guys could go run some five-on-five. But I think it started an interesting conversation, um, particularly around Exum, who also has been an NBA starter, has been, for certain stretches of his short career, has looked like an elite defensive point guard. Um, The offense has still been shaky and comes in small steps and whatever. But uh, I think there is a question out there right now about um, would Dante Exum benefit from the same type of assignment that Neto and Burks just got. And I have a sense after talking to you a little bit about this um, online and off that you and I might have a little bit of a different take on this. So what do you think? <laughs> I mean, what would what would be the value of, of Exum going and um, spending some time with the Stars, aside from the fact that he'd get to interact with you more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's that's all my only gain in I this. mean that's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh the first thing I want to add is just I want people to be totally aware that uh so like talking to Ball and Boy for example, he told me that um he generally knows his schedule uh about a week ahead of time what's going to happen as far as going up and down between the D League and the Jazz. Um, they, the, so the jazz are really, really good at planning these things out. They just make the, the announcements, um, I I mean, when they have to, uh, so, uh, I think, and then as far as when we talked to, to Burks and, and Neto about these things, it, it was pretty apparent that this was, they i mean it was they their choice if they wanted to do this or not i mean the 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 jazz suggested it but uh if if they put up a fight i doubt the jazz would have really pushed <laughs> the, to say no you have to go play in the d league yeah well especially uh, cuz i mean in an experience like that you get out what you put in so if a guy is if you have to twist a guy's arm to go to go play or practice with the stars He's not like that's a pretty good sign that it's not going to be worth your while if he's like, oh, I got to go do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So my whole take on this is is very dependent on the uh, it being something that the player's OK with because uh, um, it's it's dependent. Uh, um, how do I word this? The 
Jazz, I think, have been very good at making sure that the players are okay with what they do in their assignments. So if they assign Exum, I think it's something that he's saying, okay, I'm okay with this. Uh, I don't think they would ever be assigning him against his will. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I saw your um, note about Ball and so, Boy, and that's that's a great detail, by the way, and great reporting, so thanks for that. Uh, I mean, you know, I think that makes me feel better about if it does happen and should make fans feel better if it does happen. Um, what do you, what do you think Exxon would really I, like? Sorry, go ahead. No, go, go ahead with your question there. Well, I was just going to say, like, what uh, do you think with where Exum is at, he would get the same things out of it that, say, Neto got last night? Yeah, so I, I think that... Uh, I think that one of the things that we often forget uh, when talking about these guys is how much they love the game of basketball. Um, Diamond Stones currently with the the stars from the LA Clippers, and he wasn't getting any time with the Clippers because they're they have a pretty good roster over there. And um, he, the rookie uh, after his first game, it was really fun to hear him just talk about how good it was to just play some basketball again. And uh, I heard the same thing from Ball and Boy uh, when he first came down with the the Stars. And um, I I think it's that getting these guys out and playing minutes is good just to to keep them motivated just because it reminds them how fun the game is and and reminds them that they love it. But but I I think that the D-League is – and the use of the D-League is changing and a lot of people think of it in in the connotations of a, a demotion when they consider sending someone to the D League. Um, but the the league is doing a lot of things to to foster this and make it more of a developmental league. Yeah. And um, and with the new roster spots that they're adding, the new CBA and everything. So I think they're going to be using it a lot differently as they go on. Uh, but Exum, for example, I, I think it would be fantastic for him to go down uh, because the opposite of or the the other option for him right now is sitting on the bench, not getting any minutes uh, with the Jazz. And um, I think that for him, the biggest thing he needs is reps and repetitions, just getting some time uh, because I I still think that. Um, He's still trying to get back to form. Uh, I don't think that he's necessarily gained his confidence back yet. Um, And I think that going down there, um, having a dominant game could just remind him how good he is. And um, it would be good for him just to to get the repetitions and practice that he needs. I I 100% agree with you that the biggest thing Exum needs right now is to remind himself of how good he is. I think he needs the confidence. I I just, I'm not sure. And this is a guy who went and dominated the Nike Hoop Summit. This is a guy who mm-hmm. um, who played really well in one D-League game the summer before the injury. Uh, you know, just every time he's been around um, sort of that fringe NBA level, he just, he's he's looked like, he, I don't know, he just feels like a guy who has kind of graduated past that. And and I, I don't necessarily think that there's a huge downside if it's a night like last night where the Jazz are 
the Jazz have the night off, and so, hey, go play with the team. But I think sending him away from the Jazz would be, I think there's just such huge downside there. When you look at a guy that's in the spot Exum is, and you tell him if you're Quinn Snyder, hey, we don't need you for a while, so go there and play basketball there. I just think that that would be such a hit for him. Um, but main reason being like, look, I think 80% of NBA players are wired to think that they're better than they are or, or you know, <clears throat> better than they are. They're at least wired to think that they're as good as humanly possible. Um, that's why when when guys... You know, when guys don't live up to their draft, but like think about the way Trey Burke has internalized the first few years of his career. It's like, oh, well, I haven't had an opportunity. I haven't been able to show what I can do yet. Nerland's Noel was talking about that recently with mm-hmm. the 76ers. So I think 80% of guys are just wired that way. There are 20% of guys who are not. There are 20% of guys who I think have to constantly remind themselves that like, hey, I'm good. I belong here. I'm at this level. And I'm starting to get a sense that Exum's that guy. Now, by the way, I think that there are great players who come from both those groups. I'm not even saying that that's a problem. But I do think that Exum right now needs to have a game where he shuts down Steph Curry again. Or, you know what? Screw it. Shuts down Reggie Jackson with the Pistons. Like, I think that's what he needs to establish his confidence. And, um, and it, I think if he could get that... And also go play 30 minutes one night and not miss any jazz games. I, I think I'd be fine with it. But it's the downside of of saying, you know, hey, we're going to shut you down from a jazz perspective because Shelvin Mack has got this covered. I think would just be a big blow to where the jazz are trying to get him to mentally. Yeah, I, I actually agree with a lot of that. I, I wouldn't send him to the stars for some long extended period of time and send him on road trips with the stars and, and things like that. I, I just think that it would be good for him to go down for a game or two home games that don't, don't affect his, his jazz personnel though, though the only thought is that uh, Rudy Gobert did benefit from going down to the, to the D league and seeing the D league conditions and saying, <laughs> I don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think that, the bus the rides, there. the two-star hotels, the, yeah. Yep. And I think the difference there, though, is the attitudes of those players, and I think you're totally right. And I think that Exum and um, Gobert have really different attitudes. Yep. And so uh, I don't necessarily think that that would benefit uh, Exum because <laughs> I don't think that he'd take it <laughs> in the same way that, that Gobert would. I just think that if he could get some games where he's uh, in between jazz games where he hasn't played much and just let him go play 30 minutes a game, yeah, it would be really good for him just to get the, the reps in. See, Rudy is exactly part of that 80% group. Like Rudy wakes up in the morning thinking about how great he is and how great he's going to be. <laughs> and he eats lunch thinking about how great he is. And then he tweets <laughs> thinking about and I, and I love it, by the way. Like I'm not – this isn't a criticism. Like – the, the fact that guys are wired that way. Carl Malone used to talk about this, that to be great in the NBA, you have to have a certain amount of cockiness. Like, I get that. Um, it kind of reminds me, and I hate to draw this comparison because jazz fans are going to um, bury oh. their head in their hands when I say this, but, like, Raul Lopez was a lot the same way. Like, Raul was yeah. really good. Raul was really good. Mm-hmm. He was He was a better prospect out of Europe than Tony Parker. 
And mm-hmm. then he came to the NBA and he, and he had a coach that was kind of rough with him. I love you, Jerry, but like that was probably <laughs> not the best coach for Raul Lopez because Raul Lopez had this, um, I, I had a, I had a guy tell me once a, a team staff guy tell me that Raul there's a per, there's type a personalities and then there's type a plus and that Raul was a type a plus 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 because he just <laughs> internalized every mistake and like he kind of couldn't let himself off the hook for things and he spent a lot of time worrying about you know am i am i good enough to start am i good enough to take carlos arroyo's minutes and um and it kind of got in his way and and again i think that there are some players like that who still become great but um but they need they need a different kind of nurturing and i think especially um you know, XM has had a rough go this year. There have been games where Quinn has literally put him in for a minute and then said, nope, don't like what I'm seeing. Come sit down. I mean, that is not a great way to build confidence for a young player. So I think if they do send him to play a game or two with the Stars, they're going to have to be really, really careful about how that's handled, how he internalizes it, and and make sure that he knows what that means about how they're committed to him and his development. The only thing I'll add to that that I thought was really interesting is that uh, Coach Dean Cooper, the head coach of the Stars, talked about how uh, the Jazz said, hey, we want to see Alec Burks in the pick and roll. And so he said that he changed his offense so that every time Alex Bur- Alec Burks was on the court, he got him in the pick and roll. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, and, and I asked him afterwards – and I guess it was kind of a stupid question. I said, so how do you balance kind of trying to win a game and and do the things, uh, the, the player development that the, the Jazz ask you? And he said, uh, do what management says because I don't want to get fired. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I And by the way, an Alec Burks pick and roll is probably a better play than whatever they were running the day before when they didn't <laughs> exactly. have Alec Burks. Granted, the, yeah, it was all a win-win in that situation. <laughs> but I was I was thinking along the lines of, for example, Ty Wallace is a player that they have there who I think is probably the best prospect on the team that's not Ballin Boy, who is honestly a terrible shooter. So how do you balance the difference between having him sh- practice shooting threes in games and winning a game? <laughs> and hmm. so that's kind of how I was trying to gear the, the question there. But... Uh, he, he really talked about how with these assignment players, the Jazz tell him, here's what we, you want you to do. Here's what you're going to do, and here's how you're going to do it. And that's how they do it. Um, and so uh, if if Exum were to go down there, they would have full control of what is being run, how it's being run, and how many minutes he's being played and Makes what sense. sense he's being put in. So Yeah. Well, that's good to know too. Um, yeah, I. Uh, so we should probably wrap this up. I, I should let you know you are a good replacement for Ken because just like Ken and I do on every podcast, we always say let's keep this to thirty, and then you know sometime around forty-five minutes, we're like, dang, we gotta <laughs> bring this in for a landing. So we'll do that now. Any final thoughts before we put a bow on this one, Spencer? No, I just uh, I'd encourage anyone uh, that is in the Salt Lake area to come out of a Stars fan game at some point if you have the chance. It's 
it's actually a really neat experience, especially if you have a family, because your kids can get so close, it's so cheap. Um, so if you're in that situation, kind of thinking of what can we do for a Friday night or something, uh, it would be really fun to bring the kids out because they can get up close, get autographs signed every game by the players. Yep. Um, and and it's just been really fun to see how the Jazz have kind of fostered this this marriage between development with bringing the D League team over to Salt Lake City. Sounds great. Um, so close and so cheap was also my nickname in college, so that's a bonus. <laughs> uh, Spencer, thanks. You've had an awesome week for us at Salt City Hoops, covering the Jazz, covering the Stars. I appreciate you taking time to talk to me about um, both squads and kind of some of the issues around both and um, where those issues and those developmental plans converge. So thanks for taking the time. And uh, to our listeners, thanks for joining us. And there will be a lot more of these as we keep going because the Jazz uh, – hopefully are about to go on a tear and maybe even get an all-star named to the Western Conference all-star team. So thanks for joining us on this Salt City Hoops podcast. 